Hey guys, this is uh, Thomas, and we have to do a little bit different BAMS radio again. I know last week we had some technical issues and we had to record offline. This week, unfortunately, Drew is going to a high school football game during showtime, and I'm actually traveling to uh, handle some personal business, so I won't be able to do our hour live with Redfish and then some audio on the back end. But here's what I am going to do. Much like last week, I'm going to have some audio that Drew gave. He spoke to Redfish and Ryan Fowler of The Game down in Tuscaloosa and Chris Kirchner of the AJC, who does a lot of recording, or recording, excuse me, recruiting analysis. So we'll have that. Also, I'm going to open the show. Uh, there was a question that got sent to us, and I'm going to give my take on it just so folks can have something to think about. You know, that particular fan gets his question answered. Also, I'm going to talk about Arkansas a little bit. But first, I want to get into this question real fast, and the question was posed to both Drew and I, and hopefully Drew will answer this question next week, what we thought of the early signing period in college football. And first off, I will say that since Nick Saban and Urban Meyer have come out against it, I firmly believe this issue is a non-starter. I think it will die on the vine. I don't think it will happen. There's too many, too much power within Nick Saban and Urban Meyer circles to make me think that this goes anywhere if coaches have any sort of say. And I believe, if I've read it correctly, they do have a ton of say in the matter. But for argument's sake, let's just say that Urban Meyer and Nick Saban relent for some reason and the discussion continues. And the question I would have in that point is, what, what's the big deal? Are we trying to keep it so that kids' phones don't blow up with Twitter DMs and text messages and all this stuff? Well, there is this astonishing thing, and it was created way before cell phones, and it is called an off button. So I don't feel very sympathetic towards young men that have reaped a whirlwind of benefits from being a Division One athlete and then are upset because their poor widow phone is getting blown up and they can't talk to their friends. If the off-button solution is not a viable solution because this generation, and I'm you know, part of it, I've seen this develop, this generation is completely enmeshed in the idea of FOMO, that is fear of missing out, that they're constantly checking their Instagram and their Facebook and their Twitter and their other social media profiles, well, there are things called two cell phones if it's that big an issue. I know that's not a perfect fix to the problem, but I sort of wonder what we're really hoping to do here. I don't really buy any we do this for the athlete arguments. I think that's ridiculous. And what happens if a coaching change happens? That I haven't heard much discussion on that. Admittedly, I haven't heard a lot of discussion about the issue aside from it's being brought to be discussed and Nick Saban and Erdmeyer don't like it. So I, I do feel like this is a non-issue. I think it's one of the cases. It's much like communism. It's a fantastic idea on paper. And then you insert this thing called being human, the human condition, whatever cynical point of view you want to take, and suddenly the idea that looks fantastic on paper is not very good at all, and it ends up being a problem. So I, I'm not crazy about it. I used to think it was a good idea, but now it's just like 
I think the reasoning that has been passed is spurious, and if it's bad reasoning for making a change, I'm not going to get behind it. I think, and I'll just, you know, spoiler alert it, I think Drew's actually for it, so we'll get a counterpoint to this next week. But let's move on just real quick, and uh, let's talk about the Arkansas Razorbacks. As any longtime SEC Alabama fan knows, Arkansas is a physical, run-it-at-you, punch-in-the-mouth, beat-you-up kind of game. They run a pro-style set, so we're going to see a much more traditional look. At least that's what Arkansas has been traditionally. Statistically, it tells a little bit different story. Arkansas is actually passing for more yards than rushing for more yards. Alabama is also doing that, but it's closer. But if you really dig into the stats for the Arkansas Razorbacks, Alabama on pure stats, is ahead pretty much everywhere. If you dig into the numbers, the only point at which Arkansas is better is penalty yards, and that's by 1.2 penalty yards, 26th versus 27th. Otherwise, Alabama's in ahead from everything from total offense to total defense, third down defense, etc., etc. And it's not like... Alabama has played cream puffs with the games against Ole Miss and USC, and Arkansas has played brutal, tough teams. Now, Arkansas has played a very difficult schedule, in my estimation. They played a decent, you know, probably second place due to their loss to Oklahoma in the Big 12 TCU team and beat them in a wild game, which was a lot of fun. And they lost a heartbreaker to Texas A&M where, and this is where I think you're going to see some of the physicality issues that you saw against Texas A&M rear its head. The A&M-Arkansas game was close until the fourth quarter when A&M stopped Arkansas on, in a crazy goal line stand where A&M outmuscled the Arkansas Razorbacks. They could not get a first and goal from like inside the five. It was one of the more surprising defensive series that you'll see given the penchants and tendencies of both teams. So that makes me, you know, gives me pause, put it to you that way, in terms of Arkansas's ability to really knuckle under and run the ball at this Alabama Crimson Tide defense. A lot has been made that Arkansas is the first of really the next four games, which the ESPN Football Power Index says is the quote-unquote toughest game for any one, toughest four-game stretch of any team team in the country. Realize there is a bye week in between where Alabama gets a bye before traveling to Baton Rouge to play a suddenly rejuvenated LSU team. At least we'll see if LSU is truly rejuvenated against a somewhat undermanned Florida team this upcoming week. But going back to Arkansas, because Arkansas is the first game, I don't think the cumulative effect that you will see on this Alabama football team playing so many tough games in a row will be felt thus far. So I actually like Alabama to cover this one. I know it's a two-touchdown game, but I would argue that this Arkansas team trying to do what it has done to Alabama in the past, where turn it into a muddy slugfest, is not really going to work. I think they're more of a passing team this year. And I keep hitting on that Texas A&M defensive stand. If you can't run on a a very good Texas A&M front seven, you are not going to have much more success. You will probably have even less success against the Alabama front because the Alabama front looks very similar to A&M's. But I would argue, particularly in the linebacking core with Reuben Foster leading that group, 
Alabama is more talented there. You can certainly make the argument as to whether you'd take Miles Garrett or Jonathan Allen or, you know, Deshaun Hall versus Orion Anderson. And they're different positions there. The guys are expected to play differently, but I'm just using some names and some some roles. I certainly would take Deron Payne over uh, their defensive tackle, uh, Mack, whose, whose first name escapes me. So I think you can see something similar coming from this game this weekend. I do think Alabama will cover this one. I don't think they're going to blow Arkansas out, but I don't think this is going to be a game where the Crimson Tide faithful need to chew their fingernails down to the nubs. So we'll see how it looks this Saturday, Saturday night in Fayetteville. I know that there's there's been a lot of hype about this game, but the real one to keep an eye on, if you want to look outside of Alabama's context, is this Texas A&M-Tennessee game that's happening. (laughs) You can watch that one as your warm-up before Alabama takes the field because we're going to know – a lot more about both of those teams coming out of that game and how they set up because Alabama plays both of those teams over the next couple of weeks if you if you've lived under a rock recently. So, you know, just to recap, Alabama to cover and I I don't buy into Arkansas as much this year. I think the TCU win was impressive. I think they played A&M tough, but the inability to get things done in crunch time really really hurts them and I don't think they'll do much more than what they did against A&M once Alabama starts leaning on them. But let's get right into some audio. We're going to backtrack a little bit. Uh, Drew talked to our good friend William Redfish Barger on Monday just reviewing the Kentucky game and kind of preparing, looking ahead to Arkansas, looking at what Redfish saw. So we're going to play that first. Here it is. This is Drew DeArmond and William Redfish Barger. Uh, Birmingham native William Redfish Barger. William, I hope you had a great weekend. How are you this afternoon? Doing great, Drew. How about you, man? Doing well, and uh, thank you for joining us. And before we kind of break down Alabama and, and what we saw Saturday, uh, this is the first time we've been able to catch up with you since the Blake Barnett transfer of last week. He, he uh, basically announced it on Wednesday. Uh, by Thursday, he had withdrawn from school and is now gone from the university. Uh, and I know you went through a similar situation as far as when you were, you were competing. You started for a couple years at Alabama and then lost your job. But you had an interesting perspective on what Blake Barnett's uh, thought process may have been, but then uh, you handled it in a different way. Well, again, I don't have a problem at all with, with uh, you know Blake transferring, if that's what he wanted to do. I do have a problem with the timing of it. Um, you know, when you look at the dynamic, especially with the, you know, the kind of quarterback that Jalen Hurts is, you know, if, if he was just sitting over there on the bench, you know, in the first four games collecting dust, and then, you know, it would have made a little bit more sense to me. Um, but, you know, when you when you walk out on your teammates, you know, after the fourth game of the year when you're getting reps in every game, maybe not as many as you want or you're not being the full-time starter, um, I, I just have a problem with that from, a you know, a, a teammate standpoint. Um, you know, I, I did have a similar situation happen to me. Um, you know, I had phone calls from, you know, 25 or 30 schools that wanted me to transfer. And I just didn't um, – I was happy where I was, you know, as a student on campus, you know, with my personal life. And uh, I just, you know, didn't feel really good about it and did have an opportunity a couple of times, you know, down the road um, where, where I did get to start, uh, you know, came in and, and – uh, you know, helped Alabama win the game in 1993 off the bench against South Carolina. And I just, you know, and I know 
it, it's kind of comparing apples to oranges because the you know the financial stuff that's involved if you are good enough to get to the next level. But you know I just think this was kind of a short-sighted decision. Um, but no matter where he ends up next year, you know they're not just going to keep him over there on the shelf and say, guess what, you're going to be the starting quarterback in the fifth game. There again, you know by this this decision by default is going to create some animosity for him right out of the gate wherever he goes. Um, you know, there, there's not he's not going to go to a Power Five football team and then start a de facto you know second team quarterback and then just bring him in after the fifth game uh, after they've been working with another starter. So I just thought it was kind of short sighted. Um, I do understand the big picture of it, but man, it just uh, that that's really not how you handle things inside the confines of a team or the locker room. It was it was you know, disappointing to me to see it play out that way. Absolutely, I think it was very selfish by him and his inner circle handling it the way they did. Uh, it was all uh, about uh, his one situation and not thinking of the team uh, at all. Uh, and to me, his best move, William, would have been to have sat out or uh, just played the rest of the season out, uh, got, as you said, got reps in, in several games, put that on film, uh, and then transferred to a junior college in the spring. Would not have uh, you know, thought ill will of that at all because he wants to start. Uh, go the Chad Kelly route. Put up numbers in a JUCO and then choose your next move to a Power 5 school. I still think he should do that anyway, but you have a feeling uh, they're going to try to get him somewhere and be eligible, as you said, by game five. But who is going to move out their starting quarterback at that point? Yeah, and you know, if, if he had gone the route that you just laid out, you know, kind of the, the John Franklin route, um, you know, he still had his junior and senior year to play. Um, you know, he's, he's still got three years to work with. So, you know, one year in a JUCO, and then you've still got your junior and senior year to prove to everybody what you can do elsewhere. Yeah, you really do, and uh, you have a chance to finish your career uh, the way you want to. But now yeah. to switch gears to the current crop of Crimson Tide football players. Uh, 34-6 win at Kentucky, and it's just gone across the wire, William. Joshua Jacobs, SEC Freshman of the Week on offense. First start for him in a Crimson Tide uniform. What a performance. Uh, just talking to people during this weekend, uh, I think he's coming along uh, even more and, even high, and playing at an even higher level than almost any of the other freshmen that he's followed in the Nick Saban era at running back. I know that's saying a lot. <laughs> because of the talent at the position and how many are in the NFL. But this kid is looking special. Uh, you, you talked about what a stud you thought he was in the preseason. And, of course, uh, I, when, uh, when I, I've always been high on him. But just your thoughts on uh, his continued development. Well, again, I, I want to see him build on that. You know, they're going to go from playing a, you know, a defense in Kentucky that's rated right around the 100th best defense in the, in the country versus Arkansas. He's right around 45, so it's going to be a, an uptick in competition, uh, not just for him but for the rest of the offense. And uh, but I thought he did fantastic. Um, you know, he, he you, know, you can tell that ball security is important to him. And you know, when you look at him with the, you know, compared to the other running backs that Alabama's played so far this year, he just seems to have, you know, extreme, you know, fast twitch quickness, can change directions. Um, you see a lot of guys, you know, when the first defender goes to try and tackle him, they end up, you know, biting grass because they miss him. And, uh, you know, he runs angry. Uh, you don't you normally see the first person bring him down, especially between the tackles. So I think he was a huge pickup for Alabama, especially with the, 
you know, the injury concerns to Boca Scarborough going into the season. Obviously, you saw Damian Harris go down, uh, you know, with the ankle sprain. So, big pickup. I think he's had a big impact on this offense, and I think you'll continue to see him build upon that as they go, go through the schedule. And I think uh, what's ironic is the running back was a big question mark coming out of fall camp, William, but uh, B.J. Emmons is taking some steps forward as well. Uh, we talked to Thomas Watts about this, uh, our compatriot from BAMS Radio in hour number one. And the uh, the thing that kind of amazes you, and it's a good thing for Alabama in a way because hopefully it's going to motivate Bo Scarborough. But Bo, in a lot of ways, could be the, the, the fourth option on this team at running back with Emmons and Jacobs continuing to quickly develop. We've seen what Damian Harris has done when healthy. Uh, the running back is it, developing into a strength of this team. Yeah, and I still see, you know, you don't see Emmons um, playing with quite the level of confidence and assurity that, that I see out of Jacobs. So in my mind, I think Harris and Jacobs are the, the top two options right now. Certainly Emmons is coming on. Um, you know, Bo just, you know, hasn't, you know, I thought he had a couple of nice runs um, Saturday against uh, Kentucky, but, you know, he's starting to develop more and more into looking like a, you know, a one-cut downhill running back that just, you know, doesn't show the same fluidity out in the open field and in space that the other ones have. And uh, that's not to take anything away from him. There's been a lot of great running backs that fit that same description. But I do think he made some progress Saturday against Kentucky. Um, you know, it would have been great if he could have uh, tight-roped that sideline a little bit better than he did and gotten that touchdown because I thought that was a, a nice run that he had right there for himself. But, you know, I think this Alabama offense as a whole, um, that that game, what you saw, especially in the first half, looked like the exact same game plan that they went out against uh, Western Kentucky with. You know, they were working on some different things. Again, asking Jalen Hurts to stay in the pocket and make multiple reads, and uh, you know that's something else they have to continue to build on. Um, I think you'll see a different game plan this week versus Arkansas. It's probably going to be more more like what you saw them do. Um, you know, Old Miss. You know, going into another hostile um, environment like that, you know, I think you'll probably see him go back to the the clapping of the hands uh, snap count with Hertz and Bradley Bozeman at center. Um, so you got to put a premium on the you know the QB center exchange once again. Um, you know, you can't afford on the road to have a uh, a hiccup like Hertz and both Scarborough did um, Saturday against Kentucky, where it created a turnover. So you know, they've still got plenty of things they they need to work on. Um, you know, they're still without their best wide receiver um, in, in our Darius Stewart. Um, I don't know if he'll be available this Saturday or not, but, you know, that's it. that was a, in the first couple of ball games, he was a huge factor um, and, a, and a very productive factor within this offense. So, you know, they're still working around some things, you know, still floating um, Alphonse Taylor and Lester Cotton in there at right guard. So, you know, I still don't know if we've really seen, you know, the – mid-season finished product of this offense, and I still think it's a work in progress. Yeah, it's, it really is. And, and your thoughts on the offensive line, Jonah Williams has been very, very good thus far. He seemed to hit his first uh, wall a little bit. He had the uh, false start and struggled a little bit in pass protection. Uh, but what, just your thoughts on the offensive line as a whole, what you saw Saturday. Well, the best thing that I saw was uh, for the first time all season, you saw – uh, the big swamp monster, Cam Robinson, finally get emotional and get fired up. Um, you know, on that long drive that they had, where they they gave the ball to Jacobs and he scored the touchdown. I mean, he got he got emotional. He started mauling people, and I think he finally 
you know, got over whatever funk he had been in. And it wasn't that he was playing bad, but he just wasn't playing you know, with the same level of aggression and anger that you're used to seeing out of him. So that, to me, was the biggest positive out of the, uh, the offensive line. And, you know, I thought of the offense as a whole, you know, other than that one hiccup, um, you know, between Scarborough and Hurts, um, where Bo knocked the ball out of Jalen's hand, was really the only bad play that you saw that could have been a game-changing play. Um, you didn't see Hurts throw the ball in bad spots where it could have become a pick six. So it's just a continuation of things, things that they have to build upon. Uh, I do think Arkansas is uh, better competition for this offense from the defensive side of the ball um, than, than Kentucky was. But still, that's not, at least statistically so far through the first five games, I don't see this Arkansas defense um, being quite as tough of a test as they were the two previous years. You know, they lost all their really good defensive linemen. Um, they're very suspect against the run from the linebacker position. Um, I think that's something that you could see uh, Lane Kiffin try and exploit, um, you know, with swing passes out of the backfield. Uh, certainly some, some zone read plays. You could get some guys to bite on fakes. Um, so it'll be interesting to see the game plan that Lane Kiffin comes up for um, for Arkansas Saturday. And then uh, defensively, William, uh, they a little bit of a rough start giving up the field goal on the first drive. But uh, after that, it was basically suffocating uh, a meaningless field goal late in the contest uh, for Kentucky. But Alabama uh, continues to play well there. John Allen, eight more tackles. Sean Deion Hamilton continues to uh, be the unsung hero. He tied John Allen with eight tackles. Uh, we saw Rashawn Evans get back in the lineup and play very well. Uh, I just thought the linebacker core as a whole played at a very high level. And Tim Williams, after uh, s- sitting out the first half, second half, was uh, tremendous. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that uh, they probably did a little bit of Saturday. It reminded me somewhat of, of the old Miss game, and they can't afford to get off to another slow start against Arkansas like they did with Old Miss. And I think they were guilty a little bit of that Saturday. But, you know, once they kind of got their intensity levels where it needed to be, um, you know, they, they didn't give up anything. Um, like you said, Tim Williams in the second half was, you know, ruining people's lives. Um, you know, there was one play where uh, Deron Payne and Deshaun Hand kind of um, got so much penetration, the, the running back and the quarterback didn't know what to do. Um, you know, that true freshman offensive tackle for uh, Kentucky, Landon Young, was victimized early and often by several Alabama defensive linemen. Um, so I thought it was a great performance, you know, from the, four, the second quarter on. And, uh, you know, still, I mean, you know, Kentucky isn't uh, Tennessee or Texas A&M as far as the talent level goes, but they still do have, you know, some quality players. And, uh, you know, I just think, if, you know, you build on it, you, you correct the mistakes, you start working on the things. Yeah, I think now you're, you're, you're past the point of experimentation and seeing who can do what. Now you have to decide what you're good at and start focusing on, you know, establishing an identity for this Alabama offense. And Tony Brown returned to the team, uh, played special teams, uh, some backup on defense. He did let the ball go through his legs. That was a perfect uh, pooch punt by J.K. Scott. But his role should increase as the year goes on. Uh, do you think we'll see any more of Tony against uh, Arkansas as far as an expanded role yet, or will that play out later? I think it's probably going to play out later. And I, you know, I don't have a problem with him. You know, missing that that down in that punt. I and mean, that's probably 
more, you know, being rusty than anything. You know, Tony's always going to bring a lot of energy, and, you know, he's a high-intensity player. Um, and I know he, you could tell just he was just tickled to death to be able to get back out there and get in the mix with his teammates. Uh, but I do think that role, um, you know, certainly this week, Arkansas has improved um, as a passing offense. Um, it's kind of shocking to me that the younger Allen is, is doing better than the, than the older brother Allen did last year. Uh, you know, they've gone from being you know, in the bottom half of the league in passing. I think they're number three right now. So um, you, you might see them try and test the secondary a little bit more than what they've done in years past. The, the rushing game doesn't seem to be, at least against Texas A&M, um, it's not that same dynamic rushing attack that they've had in years past. So I think you'll see, um, you know, Arkansas try and test the secondary a little bit more. I don't know if they can afford to get into a, a battle of wills with Jeremy Pruitt and that defense in the first half and try and impose their will, you know, running the ball between the tackles. I certainly don't think they want to try and take it outside with Alabama's speed. So I suspect them to try and, uh, you know, work the tight end over the middle and down the seam and, um, you know, maybe hit some running backs out of the backfield. But I think you'll see an increased amount of the passing attempts this year by Arkansas versus the last couple of years. Yeah, with Danny, you know, he's, they've started to throw the ball more effectively. Their wide receiver group uh, is underrated, uh, led by Keon Hatcher, who's back from injury. Uh, no doubt about that. They uh, they, they, they have a, 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 a good, effective group. And Jeremy Sprinkle at tight end has done a nice job replacing Hunter Henry. Uh, and Raleigh Williams is their tailback. They do have some talent offensively, but I agree. I'm not quite sure they're as talented as the last couple of seasons. I think Alabama's going to win the game probably by double digits, but it's going to be a second-half football game because they're still going to play physical and uh, kind of try to play. Because that's just really uh, Brett Bielema's style. They're still going to uh, come out and try to run the ball and, and uh, test Alabama, I think. But it's going to be interesting to see how the tide responds. And, and William, I wanted to talk a little bit of recruiting with you because, of course, Alabama had about four official visitors uh, this past weekend. Uh, and one uh, pulled the trigger and kind of surprised a lot of people. He's been, uh, you know, uh, mentioned with Alabama since he was in eighth grade, but been committed to LSU, decommitted over a year ago. Uh, but Dylan Moses of IMG Academy via Baton Rouge, the same high school that produced Tim Williams, uh, casted his lot with Alabama on Sunday. Yeah, and I do think that uh, that caught a lot of people by surprise. I think everybody at this stage of the game had, you know, prior to the firing of Les Miles, um, you know, felt like that Dylan Moses was going to end up at LSU. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at the decision that the family made, um, you know, at least for the time being, if it sticks, and with him being an early enrollee, you know, you're really looking at about uh, two and a half months here um, that they've got other schools have a chance to try and change that decision. So it becomes a situation of, I think, two factors. A, does he, does he you know, stick to his word and not take any more visits? And also, I think when you look at, you know, where LSU is at as far as the direction they want to take their program in. You know, it would not surprise me to see them try and bring a guy that's got more of a high-flying offense in there. Um, and I think that's probably playing a big part into their decision as well at the current time is they don't know what direction that program's going to go in, um, you know, who the head coach is going to be. I mean, are they going to put a premium on, on, a, on being a, a lockdown defense? And it's a pretty easy sell. Um, if you believe that Dylan Moses is going to end up 
uh, you know, being an outsider, an inside linebacker at the next level, Alabama loses three of their starting four linebackers. So there is some instant playing time that can be sold there. And you know, I think probably at the end of the day, it has a lot more to do with the stability in Alabama's program. Uh, Nick Saban's not going anywhere anytime soon. And, uh, you know, that, that, you know, stabilizing factor probably had a lot more to do um, with this decision than people are thinking it did. Yeah, and uh, it would be huge. And he and, and I, I've heard people talk about where he may project uh, on the next level. I know you've seen some of his film. His stock had kind of dropped in a way uh, because many people thought he may have already peaked as a prospect. Uh, but he's still very athletic. Runs a about a four five six in the forties. Having a good year for IMG, averaging double digits in tackles. But where do you see him projecting at Alabama? I, I've I've been of the idea he'd be a Sam uh, linebacker and play outside, and also be someone that can be very good in coverage, a space linebacker for Jeremy Pruitt. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that'll be interesting to see, you know, how the rest of his senior football season um, finishes up, the film that becomes available from that. Now, I know, you know, going back to July when he was at the opening out in Oregon, um, a lot of people that were there thought that the only person um, that was a better overall prospect at that event was Alabama running back commitment Najee Harris. I mean, Dylan Moses really put on a show and displayed what you just talked about, his, his athleticism, his explosiveness, his quick twitch ability. Um, but, but I do think right now, if you stuck a gun to my head, I would agree with you. I think he's probably more suited as a space player versus playing inside the box, inside. Um, Alabama's in the process of putting together a great linebacker class. They've already got the, the number one junior college linebacker in the country and Gary Johnson, who is an inside linebacker. And, you know, another guy in Vendarius Cowan, who I think Jeremy Pruitt would kind of like to use in a hybrid role, much like you saw him use Rashawn Evans on Saturday, lining up inside, you know, doing some spy and doing some pass rushing. So, you know, I think they're, uh, they're always going to bring their guys in, you know, like a Gary Johnson, like a Reuben Foster, a Sean Dion Hamilton, um, that are, they're, you know, enforcers between the tackle boxes. But I do think they're starting to, expand their recruiting footprint a little bit with these linebacker guys and realize that they've got to have guys that can change direction, drop in coverage, and play in space due to the you know the uh, um, prolificness of, of the spread offenses right now in college football. And that's something you have to account for in every recruiting class. And you talked about some of the rest of that linebacker class, which is probably going to end up being the best in the country. Uh, how many more linebackers do you think Alabama might take? You know, right now, you know, especially with, uh, I think they're sitting, you know, where they can take 28 guys right now, and there's still a lot of other positions of need out there. Uh, certainly right now with what's left, D-line is the priority. Uh, but I would expect them to take one more guy at the linebacker position if it's the guy that they really want. Um, and they, they think it can be a, a game changer at that linebacker position. But it wouldn't surprise me either. Um, if they chose to use it on a, on another position group, depending on what becomes available. Yeah, and and would it would that another linebacker visited and was slated to stay until today on his official visit, and that's Jacob Phillips from Nashville, Tennessee. Would he fit that difference maker category to you? It wouldn't for me, but nobody's paying me eight million dollars to make that decision. Um, you know, he's he's more in the you know, in my mind, more along the lines of a Sean Dion Hamilton and maybe even a trade to Priest. Um, he is more of an in-the-box linebacker. 
Um, you know, he doesn't have the same sideline to sideline speed that a Reuben Foster or even a Dylan Moses has. Um, that doesn't mean that he's not very highly desired by the coaching staff because I think that he is. But I think, you know, they had their recruiting meeting this morning at 730. Uh, and I'm sure that was probably one of the big topics of conversation is, you know, you're getting down to, um, you only having about six, seven, maybe at the most eight guys, um, that they can bring in. And, uh, you know, they've, they've got a lot of places that they want to add players, especially when you look at, um, you know, wanting to add at least three more defensive linemen. And there's, you know, there's quite a few good ones and a lot of targets left out there. And, you know, it, it comes into a situation where if you look at it on paper, you know, a guy that they're in really good shape with right now, um, the Parks kid from Florida, you know, some people have him being a, you know, a Jack linebacker prospect. Some people have him categorized as a defensive end. Me personally, at six four and a half, two sixty, uh, right now, halfway through his senior year, I would have him categorized as a defensive end, right? Um, because I think that's where he's going to end up being. You know, being able to play. So, a lot of it all just depends on you know how you view a player or how the Alabama coaching staff views a player and where he projects. Yeah, it really does. And I've even heard Chris Allen from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, can end up being a defensive end. And to me, Chris Allen's too good not to take. Uh, but it's going to be interesting, as you said, because of Jacob Phillips. Now they get Dylan Moses. What happens with Chris Allen? Because that was also another huge Alabama-LSU battle. Also, Jacoby Stevens, uh, the safety that was committed to LSU. Yeah, and also, too, I mean, just thinking about some of the guys that are already on the commitment list, you could see the – you know, what's become the annual phone call to a couple of guys where they're asked to gray shirt to, uh, you know, make room for guys like that, like a Chris Allen, or if, you know, at the end of the day, if a guy like Marvin Wilson called and said he wants to come, uh, they're not going to turn somebody away at a position of need like, like Marv Wilson. Yeah, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't turn him away. And, uh, I know they're getting calls from a lot of kids. Uh, Robert Beal included William. Uh, Rock would I think they would make room for Beal. He he officially visited as well. I know that's someone that Jeremy Pruitt was very high on this summer. Oh no, absolutely. He's uh, uh, probably the number one priority is, is of a guy that they thought was the best edge rusher on their recruiting board. Um, you know, there's a there was a big drop off between him and you know some of the other guys that they were. Uh, you know, involved with earlier that have since committed to other schools. But if Robert Bill picked up the phone and said, hey, I want to come, uh, somebody's getting gray-shirted. Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. And uh, they did that with three prospects last year. Well, William, we always appreciate your time. Uh, we It's always outstanding talking Crimson Tide and breaking them down. I guess that for the final thought with you before we let you go this afternoon, uh, I think you uh, like Alabama's chances Saturday in Fayetteville. I do. I agree with, you know, where your thought process is on the game. I think this will probably be a um, a good ball game, you know, going into halftime. But I, I would not be surprised, um, you know, to see Alabama really get things clicking in the second half against Arkansas. They, they don't have, you know, the, the top-line depth on defense um, to rotate a lot of quality players in and out of there. And I could see a situation where, um, you know, especially if Alabama's defense continues to generate as many uh, non-offensive points as they've been doing, I can see where this turned into a you know twenty-one to twenty-eight point victory for for Alabama. 
interesting. And uh, that would be a huge road win uh, before having to go to Knoxville, Tennessee to uh, take on the cardiac balls as they continue to uh, <laughs> to pull one game out after another. But, William, we appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Have a great rest of your afternoon. And we always enjoy the conversation on Talking Ball. Uh, thank you, Drew. Talk to you soon. That was our good friend uh, William Redfish Barger talking to Drew Armand earlier this week. I, I realize that this is a poor man's substitute for having him on live, and I apologize for our situation not having another live show. Circumstances conspired against us, as I said. I hope our listeners will uh, not tar and feather me this week. I will say, you know, something exciting to talk about, something in the BAMS radio group. Uh, Malcolm Howard a.k.a. King Crimson, has been doing yeoman's work on our website, and we're really close to getting that done. So hopefully by showtime next week, I'll be able to talk about our new website and implore our listeners to check it out and see what they think and give me some feedback. But, you know, something's on the horizon. I know I've been talking about it for a couple of weeks, and now it's finally here. So big, big hat tip of the hat to Malcolm and his work that he's helping me with, but uh, a couple of quick points I want to make before I bring up the next audio, and it's something that I hadn't thought about, just partially because I don't do as much recruiting work. All the transfers that had Alabama fans somewhere in orbit over the summer with multiple DBs, your Burgess Beckers and your Mo Smiths, yada, 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 et cetera, et cetera. You know, the, you know the folks that transferred. Y'all are smart Alabama fans. That's opened up some holes some scholarships to be filled. And one of the things that I got from Fish's talk with Drew is Alabama could take 28 kids. And that's a solid thing to think about. That, that's You don't like it when transfers happen. Heck, we can talk about Blake Barnett until we're blue in the face. But that is the upside of the situation. You know, Alabama can keep recruiting talent and keep keep the machine, uh, keep the engine primed and the machine running at a high level. So... I know I'm kind of polishing a turd by remaking uh, Redfish's point, but it is it is something to you know think about and be cheerful for. But you know, let's get our, on to our next piece of audio, and uh, we've had him on the program before. He's a great guy to interact with, and I enjoy listening to his show when I can uh, in Tuscaloosa on the game at 102.9. It's Ryan Fowler. This is him talking with Drew DeArmond about everything Crimson Tide. And that is, of course, the one and only Ryan Fowler. Ryan, uh, good afternoon. How are you today? Yeah, I'm, d- I'm doing great and uh, looking forward to talking some Alabama football. So, so what I'm understanding there is you're at barbecue place. Are you guys yes. trying some Razorback or, or cooking some Razorback? Is that what I'm sort of understanding here? Yeah, you can, you can have you some pork today, baby. Okay, okay. All right. Well, hey, it's, it's good on a, on a Tuesday and Man, I love barbecue. Man, I love barbecue. I, I wish I was there in Huntsville, Alabama, to, uh, to celebrate uh, Tuesday with you guys. Absolutely. Just outside of Huntsville here in Madison, 306 Barbecue. Uh, great menu here, Ryan. It would definitely be your kind of place. Uh, I know how much you love, as you said, barbecue there in Tuscaloosa. But if you're ever in this area, you got to check out 306 Barbecue, also located in Athens, Alabama. I know you're very familiar with North Alabama, Ryan. And, of course, they're not giving away a 1,000 pizzas. Okay, yeah, well, uh, they're probably smart about that because they would probably be giving away a thousand pizzas because Alabama's probably going to win this game. So, or, or, or a thousand <laughs> barbecue sandwiches, however you want to look at it. But, uh, uh, yeah, I did read that place in Fayetteville that's going to be giving away a thousand pizzas if, if they were 
uh, if Arkansas was able to pull off the, the upset of the Crimson Tide. And, you know, the more I break this game down, the more confident I am that Alabama's going to win this game. I, I just don't know if, if Arkansas has played quality competition other than Texas Stadium, and that was the game that they got beat. They sort of uh, scored a couple late touchdowns, stretched that score out. But if you look at their other games, TCU's not that good. I mean, they're, they're okay, but not really what TCU has been in the last couple of years. Uh, you look at Texas State, Alcorn State, uh, and La Tech, which is their first game. They won 21-20. to Yes. I don't know if their four and one record is really a true indication of, of this team. Uh, I, I still see some weaknesses. I mean, because even based on that schedule right there that we just talked about, Arkansas is tenth in the conference, tenth in the conference in stopping the run out of those teams. So where would they be if they played a, a difficult schedule? I mean, would they be dead last? Yeah, that's a great point. We were talking about that with Rodney Orr, and he was talking about their their uh, numbers against the run. They were gashed by Trevor Knight and Texas A&M. Ryan, 366 rushing yards for the Texas A&M Aggies. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and, and so I, I think that's where you you look at, and Alabama's starting to crank up a, a rushing attack that I think will be really, really solid. So – I'm I'm really impressed with Joshua Jacobs. I've been saying this for a couple of weeks, and I'll stick by it. I, I think he may be better than Damon Harris. And yeah, I agree. The more I watch him play, the more that I go back to my, my thoughts three or four weeks ago, I, I think they're coming true. I, I just think this guy, one of the players, I'm not sure if you, and I'm trying to think exactly which one, but one of the guys in the post game called him a bowling ball. Uh, and that's a, that's, a, that's a great analysis because he is like a bowling ball, man. I mean, he, he just, you know, you know, sometimes you throw that bowling ball down the alley and, and it just moves and cuts and all that. I mean, that's sort of like what Joshua Jacobs is. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he's more than just one cut. I mean, he, this guy can make a lot of guys miss, and he gets to his speed very, very quickly. He, he really does. I think that may have been Ronnie Harrison, Ryan. It may have been. It may have been. Yeah. Who, who made that reference? I may be yeah. uh, mistaken there, but I think it was Ronnie Harrison, uh, the sophomore safety, who was talking about the impact Joshua Jacobs has had. And you can remember, uh, I was lauding him throughout the summer on the game, and I enjoyed uh, being on in Tuscaloosa every week with him. And I gave you credit yesterday, a- too. I gave you credit yesterday. Thanks. A caller called up and, and tried to say it was me, and I said, no, I think it was Drew who talked about him. I said, we interviewed him. We had Joshua Jacobs on our show, and I know you did as well. Uh, but yes. we had a chance to uh, – you and I talked about this multiple times, but uh, one of the callers tried to call up and say, hey, it was you. No, it wasn't me. I think it was Drew that, that made that statement. Yeah, and then Joshua Jacobs is a special kid, and I think he's – I'll make another bold statement. I agree with you that I think he's uh, continuing to improve and, and can overtake Damian Harris, and that's no slight to Harris who's – had an outstanding year thus far, but I started thinking back, Ryan, to and I'm talking about these these running backs when they were freshmen at the university, such as Mark Ingram, such as Trent Richardson, uh, Eddie Lacy, of course, redshirted, but when he got out, when we saw him out on the field and he developed, um, and T.J. Yeldon, I think Joshua Jacobs is 
is the most advanced running back all around that Saban has ever had in the program. And to me, it's scary how much better he may get as this year goes on. I know it was Kentucky last week, but we also saw some flashes against Ole Miss. I think this young man is special, uh, and he's got a chance to be the next in line uh, for Alabama as far as a really good featured running back. And, again, no disrespect to Damian Harris, but his first step and his burst is just different, and you could see it Saturday night. No doubt. No doubt. And one of SEC freshmen of the week, as you said, Nick Saban pointed about. I know I think you had a question about Joshua Jacobs, Nick Saban, in the the press conference there on on Saturday night. But, I mean – it was overall just a solid performance. And, you know, this is really ideal for Nick Saban because he loves to be able to take one-two punch. He, he's not a one-punch guy. I know everybody wants to go back to 395 carries by Derrick Henry, but he had to do that because Kenyon Drake was hurt, really didn't have anybody else to go to as far as uh, that, that he trusted there. But I think the, the one thing that now this is more Nick Saban's game plan that we could even go back to LSU days. He loves that one-two punch. And I'm going to make a prediction here. Uh, I said that Joshua Jacobs is a better player, but I think to keep Najee Harris on board, I think what they'll do is they'll split these carries up enough that it will almost look like maybe a one-two-three punch and maybe even a one-two-three-four with B.J. Emmons. And then you'll sell the fact to Najee Harris that you can come in and be the man. You, you see what I mean? In other words, I, I think that's what they'll do, in, in my opinion. Because yeah. I think Najee is, is yeah. the man. Okay, uh, But I think you'll sell him. In other words, you don't want one guy, like if Joshua Jacobs, you don't want him just that tear up the yardage, you know, be the leading rusher. And, you know, he's got, I don't know, 1,300 yards. You, you may want to split that up between several different guys, and then you can sell Najee Harris. Hey, we need somebody to come in and beat the man. You got to remember, Nick Saban does a lot of things for recruiting, a ton of things for recruiting. I think he'll do that with these backs, split the carries up a lot. I think you're right about that. Najee Harris, you're right, is a freakish talent. Uh, you know how much I follow recruiting. I think he might be the best high school running back since a guy named Adrian Peterson came out, and I know there's been a lot of great backs since that time uh, in college and pro football, but Adrian Peterson was considered on another level, and he was second in the Heisman voting as a true freshman uh, at Oklahoma. Only injuries kept him from winning the award during his time with the Sooners, and we've seen what he's done in the NFL, though he's injured right now with the Minnesota Vikings. But there was one omission in your discussion, Ryan, and it goes to show you back in the spring, everyone thought he was going to be the centerpiece of this running game. Uh, the future for Bo Scarborough right now is iffy. It, these next few weeks are going to be big for the sophomore from Tuscaloosa. He's got to toughen up and got to uh, continue to get better with his all-around game if he's going to stay a factor in this running game. Yeah, right, right. And, and But I've talked to a couple of different people. I'm going to have lunch here with a former running back here in just a couple of minutes. I'm going to ask him, uh, did you credit Bo with a forced fumble there on Saturday? I would have, yes. Yeah, I did too. I did too. So I'm going to ask this guy when I have lunch with him coming up in a couple of minutes. But uh, uh, I've heard some people say that it was more quarterback's fault, that he thought that he, he was he was supposed to put it in his, his belly and then and take it out. But I, either way, uh, Bo is, is, is just not ready. 
He, he's just not ready. I mean, he he is literally he's hesitant to make his cut. He's more of a straight line guy, and I don't know at some point if BJ Emmons can come along and give you some quality depth. But I think forget about completely abandoned Bo. But I wonder how dangerous he would be on the outside. Or, or maybe at one of those slot guys as far as one of those bubble screens, and then you get him a mismatch on the outside, which is where he likes to run uh, with maybe using him as a wide receiver. you got to remember this guy played in one of the All-Star games uh, as a wide receiver. So I, I just I have thoughts that maybe you should look at maybe doing that. And uh, what there, there's even been talk of H-back uh, in kind of a Brad Smelly type sure. role. Yeah, and I think he's got pretty good hands. So, but but either way, I mean, Bo is a talented guy. He just right now, I think he's hesitant with with his injuries. Yeah, that that's probably a, a good assessment there. And then Ryan, uh, we we look. It looks like we'll see the return of our Darius Stewart this week. Uh, not a hundred percent for sure, but he looks like he's returning to the practice field. Uh, he's been uh, a coach on the field, or, or I should say on the sideline, uh, the last couple of weeks, encouraging his teammates. We saw an outstanding performance, 11 catches for 174 and two TDs from the sophomore Calvin Ridley. Uh, there has still been some drops this time. Uh, after a good week, the week before against Kent State, Cam Sims had a drop. I wasn't targeted really the rest of the way. Uh, but we saw uh, Garrett Dieter catch a pass. We saw O.J. Howard with a couple. But it sounds like Nick Saban's still not satisfied with that. He's wanting to still kind of spread the football around, and it's going to be needed, as you talked about, with this uh, stretch of schedule coming up for Alabama. No, it will be. It will be uh, because, you know, teams are going to figure out how to play Jalen Hurts. They're going to have to figure out, you know, especially if he continues to lock on a one-wide receiver, uh, they're going to figure that out. Uh, but I think the one thing that you go back to, if this rushing attack can get cranked up a little bit, you may see them try to load the box, try to stop this. So if, if Alabama can find a way to continue to have success running the football, then I think the passing might open up because people are going to be focused on stopping the run. And then you got to account for Jalen Hurts. So really there's almost like three dimensions to this offense. You've got the rushing attack. You've got the passing attack. But then I guess part of the rushing attack – is Jalen Hurts, you don't know when he's going to take off and, you know, those design runs, which are, you know, something else that the, the defense has to worry about. So, really, if you can have balance, it, it's the biggest it, – it's, it's the most difficult to defend if, if you're a defense. Uh, and, and everything, you know, right now, I think Jimbo Fisher said it best a couple of days ago, uh, actually yesterday, you know, talking about the offensive lineman down the field – you know, that's my soapbox, man. I've been harping on that for, for years. And I, I think it's unfair for the defense. It yes, you have. Like we, we as an offense in college football is what attracts people into the seat. They want to see points score. And even though it's illegal, they're still running it. And I look for Alabama and all these other teams to take advantage of it until these officials prove that they're actually going to call it. And, Ryan, I wanted to ask you about that because I thought those comments were telling. And from Jimbo Fisher's perspective, uh, extremely interesting because he is an offensive guy, as you know. Oh, it was. Sure. And, I mean, that that's an offensive guy saying that 
which, you know, if you remember, I asked Nick Saban about it. Uh, and I got him, when, when I had him on my show, yes. I asked straight point blank about the uh, ineligible lineman downfield. And so that to me is, it, it is, and I don't want to sound like a crybaby, but it's just not fair for the defenses to have to defend this. And Steve Shaw, I like him. I think he's a great quality individual. You know, I, I love, uh, obviously, his faith is very important to him, and I'm not questioning his integrity. But overall, I, I want him to start calling it. Because it, I don't think they're even – I haven't noticed in the games that I watch. You got to remember, I cover Alabama daily, so I have a chance to, you know, I'm three hours prior to the game starting, two hours after the game starting. So a lot of my Saturday is occupied in the press box there covering Alabama. But I haven't even, I haven't seen the ineligible lineman called down the field yet so far in in, in this season. Have you? I mean, just with all the games that you watch, have you seen him called that? No, I haven't seen. No. Him. Very, very rarely. The only the only time I've seen it called is really in the NFL, and that Jimbo Fisher kind of alluded to that. Yeah, and it's a one yard rule in the in the uh, NFL. Yes, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I I heard Rogers rating. We featured him on our program. He's the director of officials for the NCAA. He told us that they were going to put a heavy emphasis on this, and I'm still. I mean, Jimbo Fisher's complaining for a reason. I mean, even though he's talking about 2013 yes. and 2000 this, 2000 this, 2015 Ole Miss and Alabama's the game that he referenced, uh, he's basically saying, hey, when are you guys going to call this? You said that you had an emphasis on this, but you're not really doing it. He, he, because he, college coaches can't go after officials. They just don't. Rarely do they ever do that because they get reprimanded by the conference. But that's basically what he's doing. That's the reason why he brought it up. Yeah, it really is. I mean, there, there, there's a, re- a reason behind the uh, the uh, conversation, and Jimbo Fisher is trying to uh, put it in the minds of the officials that this continues to need to be called. He talked about the quarterback runs. He talked about the RPOs uh, that Ole Miss continues to run a lot of these schools. Uh, but now speaking of the conversation, uh, Ryan, I know you talked about it earlier, uh, but uh, you, you said the more you look at it as we uh, as we wrap up the Arkansas preview, you really like Alabama's chances on Saturday uh, should they play well on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I, I like them. I like them to win this. I mean, listen, you got to remember, Vegas does not lose money. They don't fill those buildings losing money. Right. Okay. They just don't. And you watch this. I promise you. Go back and look at how close they get it on these spreads. They opened up with Arkansas mm-hmm. and Alabama 12-and-a-half. And you got to remember, the amateurs, probably your listeners and my listeners, the amateurs, the amateur gamblers, they'll call their, their bet in 30 minutes before the game, 45 minutes before the game, an hour before the game. They'll call it in on Saturday. Will the professionals jump on it on Sunday afternoon when the line comes out about 2 o'clock Central Five. Now, Vegas opened up at about a 12-and-a-half, 13-point favorite for Alabama. It immediately, right now it's 14-and-14-and-a-half across the board. 
These are professionals that are doing it Sunday and Monday. That is a big sign that, that Alabama's no doubt the better football team by far. That's a big line on the road in the SEC. Yes, it is, uh, 13 and a half, especially with a team that's 4-1 and one ranked in the top 16. But you made a great point about their schedule strength. Uh, their run defense, I think I agree, is also suspect. And then Alabama's defense, uh, they've, they've played really well since the Ole Miss game, only giving up six points. Uh, and then uh, they continue uh, to do a really good job against the run. I think they're only giving up about 68 yards per game. It's going to come down to, once again, making Arkansas one-dimensional. And if you watch that A&M game, A&M's pass rush, Austin Allen, he, he won some brownie points with me only for the fact he showed a lot of toughness because he took a beating in that game. He did. He did. But uh, uh, that is – you're talking about here as far as uh, – Alabama, man, they've got some pass rushers. Because when you talk about Tim Williams, I mean, he was almost unblockable. That motivation of, of sort of getting in a little bit of trouble last week may have re-motivated Tim Williams because I saw an old Tim Williams out there on Saturday afternoon in that second yes. half. He was coming off the edge, and, I mean, it was almost unfair for that left tackle. I mean, he was coming after, and then you've got Rashawn Evans over here. You've got Ron Anderson over here. Then you've got Christian Miller, who is also uh, developed into a really solid guy. You've got Ruben Foster. You've got Jonathan Allen, Dalvin Thomason with those big old paws that he likes to get up. And I mean, this is a an offensive nightmare for Alabama. Even though there are all these rules that are against defense, Nick Saban has been able to orchestrate a defense that uh, – now, I think the one challenge – is about physical style of play as far as Arkansas. They want to get physical with you. As, as Sean uh, Deion Hamilton told us yesterday, and I think, by the way, I think he's had a pretty solid season too. Uh, yes, he has. And, and I think he's overlooked a lot because there's so many stars on this defense. But he told us yesterday, he said, you know, this is one of those games that you have to eat your Wheaties for. But I can tell you this, by talking with the defensive guys yesterday, they were excited about playing Arkansas, a traditional brand of, of, you know, of that type of offense. These defensive guys, I mean, you could see it in their face that they were excited truly about playing Arkansas, a traditional type offense. And then uh, i got a couple more questions for you, Ryan, as we wrap it up. And this is Ryan Fowler of the game WDGM in Tuscaloosa, the longest-running radio program in the City of Champions. And you can listen to him 2 to 6 p.m. on Tide 102.9. Uh, just your thoughts on the Blake Barnett transfer. I know much like yourself and myself, uh, you know the family well. He was a good kid, had a chance to play some, uh, you know. He uh, but he abruptly left the team on this past Wednesday. Is now no longer here. Cooper Bateman now the backup. Just your thoughts on Blake Barnett and how that whole all went down. Well, uh, you know, obviously I am. I, I do know the family. I've I've covered them through the recruiting process and had a chance to feature Blake uh, several times. I did some interviews there uh, at the Cotton Bowl last year, and then even out in, in Arizona, I had a chance to feature him there and, and do some interviews. Did some interviews prior to him arriving here at the university, even though freshmen are not allowed to uh, do practices. They do have to open up for the SEC championship game and also uh, the bowl game and, and, and then the others. But go, going back here for just a couple of minutes, when – you look at Blake Barnett, I still think, and people can be critical of me if, if they want, 
I think this guy can spin the football. Uh, I think this guy's got elite arm talent. Uh, I, I think he can throw. But one of the things that allowed Jalen Hurts to win that job with his poise, Blake's got to work on that. He's got to work on that yes. confidence because he looked rattled every time they brought him in. He sort of had that deer in the headlights look. Now, there's no way that you can measure that in the offseason because you've got a black, no-contact jersey, and you're not going to be hit. But to see him sort of in that panic mode, that's where Jalen Hurts has been able to separate himself. Right now, I think Blake Barnett's a better thrower than Jalen Hurts. Just, just my opinion. But I think Jalen Hurts is much better, five, ten times better, in handling the pressure of being the quarterback at Alabama. Blake Barnett could not stand the heat, and he got out of the kitchen. He decided to go somewhere else. So when you look at Blake Barnett, I wish him nothing but the best. I think the timing is very poor on this decision. To me, it looks like that he quit on his team until we know the other side of the story. Right now, that's all we have to judge by, is that he quit on his team. That's the way I look at this. I think Blake Barnett quit on his team. And, you know, I looked at you at the press box. When Jalen Hurts was struggling there in that first half, I wonder if Blake Barnett would have stuck it out if he would have got some playing time. That's an interesting point. But he's out on the surfboard on the West Coast, and he's no longer in Tuscaloosa. So those are crying over spilt milk. Well, and then the last question for you, Ryan, and uh, we appreciate your time. I know you're about to have lunch with a good friend, as you said, former Tide running back, and you'll get his thoughts on Joshua Jacobs and the Tide running game. But uh, your thoughts on the cardiac vols, uh, continuing to survive week in and week out, though they don't seem to show up for first halves. Now they travel to Texas A&M and a huge swing game in the tenure of Gus Malzahn coming up at 11 o'clock in Starkville, Mississippi on Saturday. Yeah, right, right. And and, and I've noticed that uh, – I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but uh, all my Auburn friends are, are texting, sure, same way with you guys. We're hearing from a lot of them after beating Arkansas State and La Monroe and LSU. Man, this – they're on a high, man. They're going to win nine or ten games and, you know, all this baloney. I, I've heard it all. Mississippi State will be a swing game for them. If they can win this, they might get to seven wins. I don't think they're going to get to eight. But either way, this is a big swing game for Gus and uh, the Auburn family. I, I don't know. I, I didn't I didn't um, hear anything about it. Did, 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 did they burn the other tree down this past weekend? Uh, after beating La Monroe, I, I don't know. Do you, anybody have a latest on that? I, I mean, they're not I, very good at. I don't think so. I, there was okay, no good, more arson on the trees. Okay, good, good. I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that other trees still standing. Uh, but Mississippi State and, and Auburn should be a great game. But don't forget now, Mississippi State's playing great on the defensive side of the football. Offense still coming around, but defensively, they're one of. I think top four or five teams in the SEC, they're actually a better defensive team than Auburn is, statistically speaking. Uh, you, you look at Tennessee going to Texas A&M. This is a couple of challenges for Texas A&M to, to be able to say, okay, we're, we're, we're literally a top ten team, and, and let's back it up by beating Tennessee. Uh, I like Texas A&M in this game because I think that the continued – problems that they're having in the first half I don't think you'll be able to afford to go down John Chavis is not going to let you come back if you fall down 
big to Texas A&M. And neither is Jeremy Pruitt and Nick Saban once they make that trip to Knoxville. And, you know, I look forward to being there in Neyland Stadium and have a chance to cover that game. But, uh, you know, if Tennessee wins, that game will become epic because not only will it be the third Saturday of October, yes. but you'll have top ten teams going toe-to-toe, two undefeated teams with, with a chance to, you know, these two teams may see each other again in the SEC championship if Tennessee continues to win. Yeah, that would be the first time ever. And then, But we do know without a shadow of a doubt the winner of this game is going to get Alabama and be unbeaten because A&M has an off week uh, before they play the Tide uh, on October the 22nd in Bryant-Denny Stadium. But, Ryan, we always appreciate your time, and we know it's going to be a uh, interesting radio program as always, a lot of fun, a lot of conversation uh, on uh, the game uh, today at 2 o'clock. No doubt we will, and, and uh, look forward to Having you guys on board, we, uh, we stream on the World Wide Web. We're on a, an app, a free app that you can download. It's called Radio Pup, so you can check us out from 2 to 6. We talk a lot of Alabama football. We've got a big show this afternoon. We've got Coach Dye. Uh, we've got Barrett Jones. We've got John Garcia, a guy that you're very familiar with, talk about Dylan Moses and some other things. But uh, looking forward to hanging out with the Alabama fans this afternoon for about four hours. Thank you again, Drew. You guys have a, a great afternoon, man. That was Ryan Fowler talking to Drew DeArmond. Ryan hosts uh, the game on Tide 1029 from 2 to 6, Monday through Friday. Check it out if you're not checking us out, but uh, check us both out. That's really the way to go. Let's shift gears a little bit here and uh, go do recruiting a little bit. Uh, have a conversation coming that'll close to preview Arkansas from the Arkansas perspective, but let's do recruiting. The uh, next audio is from Chris Kirshner of the AJC, been on the program before, and here is Drew talking to Chris about Alabama recruiting. And that is Chris Kirshner of the AJC's SEC country. He covers Crimson Tide recruiting, does an outstanding job, has a couple of stories and exclusive interviews up that you've got to check out, and we wanted to catch up with him. Chris, uh, good afternoon. Uh, Thank you for joining us. How are you? Good, Drew. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's great to have you on the Neighbors Wealth Management Hotline. And uh, you were uh, one of the first to touch base with Dylan Moses. Uh, we talked about him earlier in the program with Rodney Orr, uh, the number one outside linebacker in the country uh, by many. Uh, and uh, he's a very versatile prospect, very athletic, seems to fit what Alabama's doing defensively. But really, uh, though he was officially visiting, still kind of a surprise to, to, for the Alabama staff to reel him in considering uh, his background and uh, what many people thought he would do this uh, late in the process. But just your thoughts on the uh, commitment of Dylan Moses and the impact it's going to have. Yeah, well, first off, it was uh, a complete shock. You know, when I saw him tweet that he had committed to Alabama, um, I thought it was some some fan impersonating Moses and, and uh, <laughs> saying that he had committed because I just didn't think it was possible this soon. You know, after Les Miles got fired from LSU, I, I did think it was possible that uh, Moses could eventually end up in Alabama's class, but I didn't think it was going to happen this quickly. And, you know, just the impact Moses has on this class. Obviously, like you said, he is the nation's number one outside linebacker. And a guy like him, who is very well known in recruiting, is definitely going to attract um, several other five-star prospects. Yeah, he really is. And and I know you had a chance to speak with him. And uh, it looks like 
uh, Reuben Foster played a huge role in his recruitment as, as his host. And we know Reuben throughout his tenure at Alabama has been an outstanding recruiter, especially with Rashawn Evans uh, and many others that are now currently on the squad. But it looks like uh, that Dylan Moses has a very, very tight relationship with the uh, Tides senior middle linebacker. Yeah, um, Dylan told me uh, told me plenty of times before um, talking with him yesterday that he considers Reuben Foster a big brother. And um, like you said, Reuben Foster was Moses' host this weekend for his official visit. And Reuben told him, like, you know, I really want you in an Alabama jersey. I want you to continue on uh, the legacy I have here. And once uh, Dylan heard that from Reuben, who he considers one of his uh, football idols, he told me, um, that really just clicked in his head that, you know what, I think Alabama is the right spot for me. And, you know, to hear from Reuben Foster, some guy I look up to um, very closely, uh, it just made the decision to commit to Alabama much easier and uh, one that Dylan really is just 100% committed to um, currently right now. Yeah, and talk about that. Uh, he, he, he really seems uh, solid in his commitment. As soon as it was announced and it was, and people figured out it was legitimate, uh, of course, the first buzz was that he would likely change his mind and, uh, many thought and still sign with LSU, uh, on National Signing Day. But honestly, he's going to be an early enrollee, which, uh, moves up the timeline. And of course, and I know he had some very interesting things to say to you about, uh, the, his recruiting process now. Yeah, you know, um, well, first off, I've, I've talked to Dylan um, quite a bit over the past year, and I've really never heard him get that excited about a decision. Like, you could hear it in his voice when I was talking to him on the phone that he was just so happy to, you know, end this process and be committed to uh, the University of Alabama. And I, and I asked him because um, when he announced his commitment, he said that he was done with um, taking visits elsewhere. And if he did take another visit, it would just be to Tuscaloosa. And I asked him, um, you know, how serious are you about this? You know, you did have five uh, official visits scheduled. And he's very serious. And, and to, to demonstrate how serious he, he is, right after he committed to um, Alabama, he uh, direct messaged several coaches on Twitter saying, um, you know, thank you guys for recruiting me, but I'm not going to visit anymore. So that's how serious Dylan is about uh, ending his recruitment and you know uh, attending the University of Alabama come January when he enrolls. So um, I don't see him flipping down the road. And, you know I think he is 100% committed. I, I do believe him. Um, that's not going to say that LSU is going to stop recruiting him. Uh, they've been recruiting him hard for you know ever since he was in the eighth grade. So um, LSU staff is definitely not going to stop their pursuit of um, Dylan Moses. But I don't think it's going to work. I think he's And, uh, Chris, now it's going to be interesting to see how that affects uh, the other linebackers on the board because I know you spoke with another official visitor this weekend, and his uh, recruitment process is slated to end on October the 12th. Uh, But he has one more visit to Texas A&M upcoming this weekend for their game against Tennessee, and that is linebacker Jacob Phillips from Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, you know – he was definitely in an interesting spot this past weekend because, for one, um, you know Alabama now has four linebacker commitments in the class of 2017 in Moses, Vandarius Callen, Markel Benton, and Gary Johnson. So I was told by um, several sources close to the program that 
Alabama's done at linebacker. They're going to um, take one or two Jack prospects, which is a, um, a hybrid of outside linebacker and defensive end. So uh, I was told that they're done with true um, linebackers. And Jacob Phillips, who officially visited this weekend, is a true linebacker. You know, I, I did ask him, um, did the Alabama staff mention the possibility of transitioning to Jack when he got to Alabama? And he said no. So um, that tells me that um, because of Moses' commitment, uh, there's not going to be uh, space for Jacob Phillips. Um, Alabama is still going to recruit him just in case something happens down the road. Um, the, uh, Cowan and Benton are, are 100% solid to Alabama, but Gary Johnson has told me before that he's only 70% committed. So um, for what it's worth, that's, that's what he said. But um, So, yeah, I think Alabama is still going to recruit Jacob Phillips, but I don't think there's going to be uh, space for him when he decides on, Octo- on October 12th. And that would be very interesting uh, because I know he, when he spoke with you, he was reassured of his spot in the class. But as you said, Gary Johnson would be the one that's uh, of the of the group of four that's probably uh, considered the shakiest commit right now. Uh, and then you talked about Jerez uh, Parks and Chris Allen. Uh, I know Chris Allen visited this weekend. Jerez Parks has been considered a tied lean. Both of those guys are Jack linebackers, could be defensive ends. So it'll be interesting to see where that, that stands. And then also Robert Beal, Chris, he visited this weekend. Uh, the teammate of Dylan Moses uh, from IMG Academy. And, and uh, I know he's someone that Alabama has liked quite a bit. Yeah, Jeremy Pruitt has made uh, Robert Beal a priority um, ever since Pruitt was Georgia's defensive coordinator. Uh, Pruitt loves Robert Beal. But again, um, you know, with him committing to Georgia, um, our Georgia reporter at SEC Country and Dog Nation had spoken to Beal um, about that visit and prior to the visit. And uh, Robert Beal assured uh, the Georgia reporter that we have that um, he's 100% committed to Georgia. The reason for these trips, uh, like a lot of these prospects, you know, um, Vandarius Cowan, the Alabama commit, decided he wanted to take five official visits too. And so, yeah, uh, Robert Beal is solid to Georgia, and I don't see him flipping, even though he did visit Alabama and loved it, uh, the trip. And then, uh, Chris, uh, your thoughts on uh, where Alabama stands with Chris Allen. I know it's been considered Alabama LSU, and that's kind of been back and forth. And then uh, also with Jerez Parks, are you hearing, uh, much like myself, that he's still an Alabama lean at this time? Yeah, uh, Jerez Parks, the four-star defensive end, is an Alabama lean um, currently. He had visited Alabama this past July, I believe, uh, for the team's invite-only cookout. And I was told by a couple people that uh, Jerez Parks wanted to commit at that time, but he decided to you know, just wait it out, just make sure that Alabama was the school he wanted to go to. So uh, Alabama does hold an edge over Florida, which happened to be, um, you know, his childhood dream school. So uh, Alabama does uh, is in a really good position with Jerez Parks. And when I when he does make his decision at the Army Bowl um, this January, I think Alabama is going to be the school he chooses as of now. Now for Chris Allen, the four-star linebacker from Baton Rouge. Obviously, his uh, recruitment was affected by Les Miles uh, being axed from LSU. He was very close with Les Miles, just like Dylan Moses was. And uh, prior to uh, the decision from LSU to fire Miles, I was told that Chris Allen was 
even though he publicly said Alabama and LSU were on top, LSU definitely held the edge over Alabama um, behind the scenes. That obviously has changed, and they're now on equal ground. So to get uh, Chris Allen on campus this past weekend for a game, it's, a, it's definitely a big deal because, one, it was an unofficial visit, so he can take another trip to Alabama um, this season or possibly after the season and see Alabama once again and get 48 hours on campus, get all this time with the coaching staff. So his recruitment is definitely um, in flux right now, more so than Jerez Parks, because of the Les Miles firing and how that affected him. And then a couple of guys that are definitely of interest to Alabama fans, Alex Leatherwood, uh, the longtime commit for over a year who is uh, just coming off a, an outstanding trip to Michigan that really seemed to impress him and turn his head. And then Jedrick Wills uh, from Lexington, Kentucky, who has been considered a tied lean. Uh, just your thoughts on where Alabama uh, w- may, may stand with those two following their trip uh, to uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Yeah, you know, I, I got so many messages from fans uh, this morning. I woke up so many about Alex Leatherwood's trip to um, Michigan. He said that it was the best visit absolutely in, in his recruitment. But uh, the one thing I have to say about that is that uh, in the history of college football recruiting, what recruit uh, has not enjoyed an official visit to anywhere? They always say it's a great trip. So I, I take that uh, statement with a grain of salt. I'm close to Leatherwood. I talked to him about his um, his trip to Michigan, and he, he you know, he he did say that it was a great trip. But um, I would caution Alabama fans with Leatherwood because, for one, he likes to exaggerate things just a little bit, um, and I I know from talking to him extensively uh, that he is 150 percent committed to Alabama. Uh, it's extremely rare to have a commit. Um, recruit others the way he does if he was thinking about going anywhere else. Um, we saw that he had a, a big role in Dylan Moses' commitment, and he's also had a role in several other commitments um, that Alabama has landed. Uh, he helped land Elliot Baker, the nation's number one junior college player. He helped land Mac Jones. He helped land so many others. So um, for the Alabama fans that are concerned about Alex Leatherwood, I wouldn't be because um, I know that uh, Alabama has his heart, and even though he's going to take these five official visits, um, he's he's very solid with Alabama. It would it would definitely be a shock to see him flip down the road. I, I don't see it happening. And then for Jedrick Wills, the um, the four-star offensive tackle from uh, Lexington, Kentucky, you know he was supposed to make a commitment two mo- two months ago. You know he he tweeted that a decision was coming in two weeks. Those two weeks passed. They turned into two months. And he's pretty much been silent with his recruitment. But I've been told by someone close to him that Jedrick Wills is pretty much dead set on wanting to play offensive tackle in college. And the problem with that, for Alabama's um, standpoint, is that Alabama wants Jedrick Wills to play offensive guard because it has a commitment from Leatherwood and Baker, who are two, two guys that um, Alabama could possibly plug in immediately right away if they needed to. So um, Jedrick Wills is kind of in an um, interesting situation because if he does want to play offensive tackle on the next level, I don't think it's going to happen at Alabama because Leatherwood and Baker are offensive tackles and um, as viewed as bigger priorities to the staff than Jedrick Wills is. 
Well, it's going to be really interesting to see how that all plays out because the numbers are tight, uh, Chris, no doubt. But we always appreciate your time. Let everybody know, of course, where they can connect with you on Twitter. And I know you're going to continue to have a lot of fallout from this recruiting weekend and let them know what you're working on. Great stories with Jacob Phillips and Dylan Moses. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, you guys can follow me on Twitter. Chris Kirshner is my uh, handle, uh, K-I-R-S-C-H-N-E-R. Um, I did talk to Isaiah Bugs, who's been pretty silent about his recruitment, so I'll have that story um, probably later today or tomorrow. And then just catching up with the other guys, you know, I, I'd like to know how uh, Jalen Hurts' performance affects Tua. I have not been able to get in touch with Tua, Tiger Bailoa, the five-star quarterback commit. Um, I'm really looking forward to talking to him soon. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of Alabama coverage coming your way. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Chris. Have a great rest of your afternoon. We appreciate it. Thanks, Drew. One final bit of audio for this week of BAMS Radio. Drew had the pleasure of talking to hogsports.com's Trey Biddy. Trey gave his take on what he sees coming from the Arkansas-Alabama game, obviously from the Arkansas perspective. So this is him talking to Drew DeArmond, and uh, this will actually close our show. So hopefully, you know, God willing... We will be back normal, live, and ready to roll next week. Thank you for your attention, and uh, enjoy the game this weekend, and roll tide. For Hog information, that is, of course, Arkansas. For nearly 14 years, he's been the publisher of hogsports.com, part of the Rivals Network, and that is Trey Biddy. Trey, uh, good to talk with you again. Thank you for taking the time this afternoon. Yeah, Drew, anytime. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely, Trey. And uh, this is a huge game for Brett Bielema in Arkansas. Uh, they got. They were disappointed, I know, in the fourth quarter uh, against Texas A&M. Gave up some explosive plays in the running game. But got, before that, got a huge win on the road, and they were able to start fast against TCU and Gary Patterson and win that game in Fort Worth. And I know when you and I spoke at SEC Media Days and then prior to the season, the big thing for Arkansas uh, was that they wanted to get off to a better start this year. And they've, they've been slow starters under Brett Bielema. And for the most part, they, they have started well this year. Yeah, it's weird that <laughs> the worse they've started, the better that their season has gone. I mean, last year they, they started off 1-3 and three and then and then went on a real tear. You know, Arkansas has won 10 of their last 12 games. A lot of people don't, don't realize that, uh, which is a pretty impressive st- statistic, uh, you know, especially considering the slow start that, that Brett got off at Arkansas. Um, you know, the TCU game, I really felt like Arkansas just had the better athletes. And Arkansas is a well-coached, very disciplined team, don't, don't commit a lot of penalties, uh, know who they are. Uh, so I felt like they would win that game, even though they, they gave it away a little bit and had to come back. Um, but that was really the most impressive thing to see that. Uh, Texas A&M, you know, I just felt like overall they were the better team going into that game, which is why I picked them to win. And, and I think they, they proved that. Uh, they have some really explosive athletes, as you mentioned. That's why there was explosive big plays. The turning point, obviously, was Arkansas had that 92-play drive, 19-play, mm-hmm. 92-play drive, and couldn't punch it in at the end. And then Texas A&M scored in 42 seconds, um, and that just that just changed everything. Um, but you know, that's that can be a learning experience for them moving forward. I do think Texas A&M is right there with Alabama. In fact, I actually have Texas A&M rated number one in the SEC right now. I think they're they're that good. Um, but the main difference for Alabama being, and I know Jalen Hurts is, is a very talented quarterback, strong, strong runner, big arm, uh, you know, arrived in January, so you don't necessarily consider him a true freshman, uh, son of a coach also. But 
he is still a freshman. The last freshman to lead his team, the last true freshman to lead his team to a national championship was uh, Jamel Holiday uh, at Oklahoma. I think I was in kindergarten when that happened. So, yeah, Jamel Holiday, uh, the option quarterback. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I think that I think that a lot of people think that eventually having that will cost Alabama a game. Now, is that enough nowadays to keep them out of the national championship hunt? Um, you know, something that's hypothetical and hasn't even happened yet, but. Um, it, it probably won't be when it's all said and done. So um, that's the one reason that I have Texas A&M rated a little higher. Um, but I do have both of those teams ranked uh, a good bit higher than Arkansas. Absolutely. And uh, Trevor Knight's provided stability and senior leadership. But it's also been a good beginning uh, for Austin Allen, uh, the b- brother of Brandon Allen. Uh, and I, he really showed me a lot in that Texas A&M game, Trey, because I'm telling you, it's been a long time since I've seen a quarterback get hit as consistently hard as, as Austin Allen did. I kept thinking he's not going to get up. He's not going to get up. They're going to have to put in the backup. He finished that game, and I, I think he won the respect of a lot of people, his teammates, uh, uh, the fans watching, uh, other teams around college football. Uh, he showed me uh, quite a bit when it came to toughness and moxie uh, in that game uh, against Texas A&M. Yeah, that's kind of the way Austin's been since he was in high school. And, and really, he was brought up a lot different than his brother, and he likes to be compared to him so much, or people like to compare him to him so much. But, you know, Brandon was thrown into the fire. His first start was a freshman year uh, against Alabama in the John L. Smith transition year when everything just fell apart, and, and Arkansas got creamed in that one. And I don't know that he – well, I know that he recovered, but I think it took him a while. You know, that's a game that he was put in that he wasn't ready for. Um, and he went through like four different offensive coordinators in five years. I mean, it was, it was just not an ideal situation. I think eventually it made Brandon stronger by his senior year and had a terrific senior year. Austin was a little different. Austin, you know, watched from you know the sidelines, watched his older brother go through everything that he went through, um, wasn't put in a, in a bad situation, um, has just had two offensive coordinators, and, and is his second year with this one. Uh, Brandon never had those things, and so Austin has been – you know, taken care of, developed the right way, and I think we're seeing the results of that. Um, you know, Brett definitely likes to use an older quarterback for this type of, of offensive system, um, and and Austin has has done really well and, and really showed a lot of toughness against Texas A&M getting rocked. Obviously, Arkansas's real weak spot this year is the offensive line. They've just been shuffling them so much. They have, I think, they have talent, but I just think they're young and inexperienced overall. Um, and so that's, you know, I think they'll be a lot better next year, but this year probably the, the weaker spot of the team. And while Austin showed a lot of toughness, he cannot continue to get rocked like that. I mean, if that, if that keeps happening eventually, he's going to pay for it, and, um, and Arkansas is going to be without a quarterback. Yeah, and then, but Arkansas, I, they have had a lot of – and this has been the kind of, I think, the trademark of Dan Enos, providing that offensive balance. Uh, I was just looking, you know, at how they've played. I've watched some of them on television, but also looking at the stats. Uh, Drew Morgan continuing to build on his breakout junior year, uh, 28 catches for him. Uh, and then Cornelius has got 14 catches. We've seen 20 yards per catch for Keon Hatcher. They've really been able to spread the ball around in this passing game. And, of course, we know Jeremy Sprinkle, very talented tight end. But this receiver group as a whole, we talked about it in the preseason, uh, Trey, but they're uh, I think they're very underrated. They've done a solid job thus far. Yeah, well, Arkansas is going to have to run the ball to stay in the game, and they've, yes. they've really struggled against Alabama to play the game that they want to play and not put their defense out there for too many snaps. That's the way they're going to have to – to have success, but the receivers are going to be have to be the ones that win it for them. And 
they they have a lot of senior leadership there. As you mentioned, Drew Morgan has has just been so reliable. I've, I don't think I've ever seen Drew drop a meaningful pass. Uh, I've seen him drop very few, but if it's they have to have it third or fourth down or to you know <laughs> in the red zone. He makes the catch, uh, and, and like 100% of the time. Uh, Keon has been a little banged up. Keon um, didn't play in last year's game, was going to be their leading receiver last year, Hurt, broke his foot in the second game of the season and, uh, and, and redshirted, so he's on his second senior year. He's got a hamstring right now, and he sat out last week. He injured it late in the Texas A&M game, uh, but he did practice on a minimal level yesterday. They're trying to make sure that he makes it to Saturday, so they don't want to push him too much. Um, you know, Cody Hollister has come on pretty well, too. He's a very reliable catcher. I think Jared Cornelius is probably their best all-around receiver in terms of speed, catching, um, you know, elusiveness, all of those things tied in. Also, their punt returner. The one guy who's been a little disappointing, real, really disappointing, is, is Dominic Reed. Uh, Reed can really take the top off of defense. 6'3", long and lanky, um, just real legit speed, like, you know, top class of the SEC type of speed. But he only has four catches this year, and he's had drops and just he had a fumble on, a, on an end around. You know, he just hasn't been there for Arkansas for whatever reason. But the good news for them is they got a lot of other players that can catch the ball. And you mentioned Jeremy Sprinkle. Sprinkle has, I think, like 14 catches. Every single one of them seems to go for a first down or a touchdown. I mean, he is he hasn't been just, you know, prolific in the passing game, but every time he catches the ball, it's a huge play. Yeah, it is. And Brett Bielema, no one better at developing tight ends uh, then Coach Bielema, and he's continued that from first at Wisconsin and now at Arkansas. Hunter Henry, of course, the John Mackey winner last year and now enjoying a nice rookie season with the San Diego Chargers, Trey. But uh, you've talked about that offensive line. Of course, Sam Pittman now at Georgia. They had the transition to a new coach, but uh, that's what I've been hearing. Just uh, they've not, uh, It's not uh, been uh, the performance that they wanted up front. I know they've still run the ball pretty effectively at times, uh, but still, that offensive line uh, faces a tall task with this Alabama D-line, which is not as deep, not nearly as deep as last year, but Alabama's first four or five, very, very good. Yeah, well, Alabama's not as deep as last year is really deep for most other people. <laughs> um, and and that's probably the difference in this game where, you know, I, I think obviously Alabama's got some great safeties, secondary, uh, linebackers, all that stuff, but I really think the mismatch is – the defensive front, um, you know, and, and including the linebackers uh, with the three-four. Uh, I think five of Alabama's seven starters up front are seniors, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. You know, Arkansas has three new starters on the offensive line, and could also be without Frank Ragnow, who lost his father Saturday and has been in Minnesota. He's Arkansas' mm-hmm. starting center, mm-hmm. um, so they're. I don't think they're. He said to keep him in the game plan, but I don't think they're, you know, necessarily counting on him. We'll see. We'll see what plays out with that. Uh, but obviously things bigger than football going on with him. Um, so uh, to me, that's that's going to be a big mismatch. I mean, uh, you've got seniors who are extremely talented. I mean, Deshaun Hand was the number one ranked player in the country, and he's a backup, right? Yes, that's correct. And, yeah, that that shows a lot right there to me. Uh, so I, I think that's the one area that, that can be, um, you know, a pretty big mismatch for Alabama. And, you know, I do think that, you know, if Arkansas plays it clean, don't make a lot of mistakes early, They'll keep the game into the fourth quarter and give themselves a chance to win. But the problem is, as you all know, Alabama is the king of the slow death. You know, it's you look up at 17-17 in the third quarter, and all of a sudden it's 42-17. You know, it's just they, they lean on you and lean on you. And 
um, you know, go to the potty and uh, and then knock you out late in the game. It's just it just seems kind of be Alabama's mo, and uh, that's that's pretty much how I see this game going. And then uh, this Alabama uh, offense, as you said, the freshman quarterback in Jalen Hurts, uh, freshman tailback in Joshua Jacobs is really starting to come into his own. Rob Smith in this Arkansas defense, uh, I, they've been uh, their front seven the last couple of years has given Alabama a lot of problems. They've been very physical. They were able to stop the run. Uh, and uh, and they scared the daylights. Really should have beaten Alabama in 2014. Uh, we're winning late in the third quarter last year before the deep ball to Calvin Ridley. Uh, so far, they've struggled a little bit against the run, uh, Trey. Is is it just that this year maybe that they, they're, they're a little bit younger along that front and maybe not quite as good yet or seasoned? You know, they've given up some, some huge plays. It hasn't been like giving up five, six, seven yards, boom, boom, boom. It hasn't been anything like that. It's been somebody making a mistake, usually in the secondary, trying to do too much, trying to make a play and, and not feeling his responsibility, and it's been quarterback runs. Um, I think uh, Trevor Knight had like four really long quarterback runs. Every quarterback that they have played this season has been a dual-threat quarterback, every single one of them. Um, Kenny Hill, Kenny Hill. I think they probably underestimated what he could do on the ground, and I did too. I, I remembered him being a good runner, but I felt like mm-hmm. he was just – very difficult to contain uh, in that game. But that's where it's come from. It's coming from quarterbacks. It's not coming, and, and Alabama obviously has a guy that can run, possibly the strongest runner out of anybody they'll see. Um, so that's that's been the issue. Uh, they they just haven't fared well, even dating to, to last year. I mean, you look at the Patrick Mahomes and Dak Prescott and Chad Kelly, look at look at what Arkansas gave up in those games. Uh, when it comes to just straight running the ball, they've been they've been really good, though. Yeah, they have, and uh, uh, they've uh, they've uh, stopped. They've been able to stop it. Uh, Joshua Jacobs and, and now Damian Harris has been banged up. He should be ready to go in the game. But Joshua Jacobs has been very impressive. How do you see? I know you you think uh, obviously that Jalen Hurts his legs could hurt Arkansas. Uh, what do you how what do you see out of this this uh, Alabama the rest of the running attack these tailbacks? Do you think they can have some success, or do you do you like Arkansas's chances of at least taking the tailback out of the game? Well, I mean, Alabama's got some very talented tailbacks, obviously. Uh, I think they'll – what they have to guard against is, is a, a long run being popped off. You know? mm. They don't have the target guy in, in uh, Derrick Henry. And I really thought Arkansas played against Derrick Henry better than anybody last year. They, they did, uh, I agree. I 3.5 yards a carry on 27 rushes. Didn't have that, a good run, really, until uh, late in the game. Uh, and that's where, again, where Arkansas, where Alabama beats you. They, they just lean on you and, you know – Arkansas is has is better on defense than they were last year, but this problem still remains. It's still just Brooks Ellis and Dre Greenlaw at linebacker. Mm. There's nobody really rotating in. And last year, one of the reasons that Derek had that 15-yard touchdown run at the end is a play that Brooks was making during the game. He didn't make because, as he told me, he was just sucking wind and could hardly breathe because he was out there so long. He never came off the field. Um, and that's the difference in Arkansas and Alabama is you know, where Arkansas may be able to match up with their first 22, you know, the next 22, it's not the same. It's not the same level. Um, and Alabama has that at, at running back. You know, it's it's going to be the same linebackers and the same safeties out there for Arkansas, but it's going to be a different running back in the fourth quarter. And then uh, these Alabama receivers, it looks like Ardarius Stewart will be back in the lineup. Trey, after missing a couple games, he had gotten off to a very good start. Calvin Ridley coming off a career game. How do you see this right receiver group and O.J. Howard matching up against these uh, Arkansas uh, the, uh, corners and safeties? Well, I, I, th- I think this is always a good indicator for those watching at home. Um, 
early in the game, pause the game and on a tackle and see how many, uh, see how many, I guess, red jerseys for Arkansas are around the ball when an Alabama receiver catches it. Uh, if there's just a couple, then that's that's a lot of trouble. If you see six or something, that's a good sign. You know, you need to see for Arkansas players diving over piles, uh, everybody trying to get in the tackle. You can't have a moment where a guy says, "Oh, he's got it," because if Calvin Ridley has shown me anything, it's that nobody has it. Uh, he can catch a little pass out in the flats, and when he decides to turn it on, I mean, he is he is that initial burst is just so explosive, and um, and really just blows by people. So. Uh, I think Stewart is very good, but I think Ridley, by far and away, is the best receiver on on Alabama this year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they match up. Uh, I guess the biggest thing, key for Arkansas in your mind defensively to stay in this game, they've got to limit explosive plays. Yeah, absolutely. That's that was the difference really in the Texas A&M game. Aside from the big momentum swing, is that you know Texas A&M could could create a big play, and Arkansas kind of had to. Uh, matriculate the ball down the field. Um, they do have some guys that can make plays, obviously, but um, but not as many as, as what Alabama has. Arkansas needs to keep it in front of them. Um, you know, maybe allow a, a true freshman quarterback to make some mistakes, which which you know are going to happen at some point in the season. Arkansas just needs Alabama to to make some mistakes. I mean, if you look at the games that they lose, which aren't very many, uh, it's usually turnovers. Losing the turnover battle—that's that's something that usually gets them. You know, a lot of people's point to you have to have a dual threat, um, you know, spread quarterback to beat Alabama. And I, I think that's a little bit of a misnomer, just because most teams are doing that now. You know, you don't run like Arkansas has not played against a team that doesn't do that. So, um, you know, that's—I don't think that's necessarily true that you have to have that at quarterback to beat Alabama. Uh, I think you just have to, you know. You got to get a little lucky. You got to have Alabama shoot themselves in the foot. Obviously, on paper, this game is all Alabama, uh, but as they say, they don't play on paper. And uh, there's there's mistakes that that happen in football, and, and the ball bounces certain ways. And Arkansas has to take advantage of those this year. They can't have like last year. They or, or two years ago, Cody Walker recovers a fumble on the opening punt, mm-hmm. and uh, and then he fumbles at the goal line with nobody touching him. Right. You know, you've you got to capitalize on those types of things when they're in front of you because you know Alabama does. Alabama seems to capitalize on every single mistake that another team makes, and some people may call that luck, but you know how the quote goes, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. Absolutely. And and then uh, with this Arkansas running game, uh, they, for Arkansas to win this game, I think Austin Allen has to play a very efficient, very good football game. That's been the formula. Alabama has to be sloppy with the ball and turn it over, but they've also got to generate some sort of running game. Raleigh Williams has been really good, second-best uh, rushing uh, uh, performance in the SEC thus far. We knew he was talented last year, made a, a miraculous recovery from the uh, neck injury. It's great to see. Uh, but and then they, they've been and Deverell Whaley starting to assert himself too. They they lost Alex Collins and of course Jonathan Williams uh, missed the season last year. But it really hasn't been a drop off in productivity from these Arkansas tailbacks. Yeah, I mean you would like to see a little bit more, but I think a lot of it is is the offensive line uh, right. you know, still still trying to come together. And I do feel like the offensive line is taking noticeable steps forward each game. Uh, even with the Texas A and M game, I thought they were better than they were against TCU. And that just comes with reps and experience and, and you know, cohesiveness. Uh, Devlaw, to me, is a guy that's going to be a, a really, really good back. I think he'll be an all-SEC player before it's all said and done. Raleigh's a very good in-between-the-tackles running, patient. You know, he's built really strong so he can run through. Um, he can run through tacklers and, uh, and pick up extra yards, drive a pile. 
he's compact, 5'10", 220 probably, 215, looks even heavier than that. Um, and Devois is a big kid too. He's, uh, you know, he's 5'11", 215, he's a good size, medium sized back. But when he puts his foot in the ground, he has that, you know, you notice it right away when a guy, everybody's good in this conference, but you notice when a guy has something, you know, exceptional that's a little better than everybody. And Devois really has that. Um, you know, we, I know it was against, you know, an inferior opponent, Alcorn, but you really got to see his speed last week on a 75-yard run. Um, you know, there were several times in the Texas A&M game where I thought, I thought he was really, you know, maybe if he was a little more seasoned that Arkansas could have used him more and beaten Texas A&M uh, with him just because he gives them the threat of popping off a big play. And at 215 pounds, a guy that can run through tackles, that can move side to side also and has that explosiveness, you know, I, I would like to see Arkansas use him more because I think he gives them a better chance to have those explosive plays, which they're missing a little bit. And Raleigh broke off a 55-yard run against A&M and has the ability to, to make big plays, but he's not a guy that's just going to pull away from people. And, Trey, as we finish up with you for the next couple of minutes, I uh, want to thank you for joining us from hogsports.com. One thing, this is going to be huge for Arkansas. This is a showcase game. Uh, it would be a, a monumental win for Brett Bielema. And as expected, and you, we knew you would have it fully covered, Arkansas, a huge official visitors weekend. And I say this because in the past, Arkansas has done a very good job of even recruiting the state of Alabama. They had Trey Flowers and Darius Phylon back in, uh, in 2014. Uh, both those guys, really good football players, had great careers. I saw Trey Flowers here in my area from Columbia High School. Uh, Philion, of course, from Mobile and Viger. But uh, it sounds like a lot of talent coming to Fayetteville this weekend. Yeah, there's some there's some good backs. Malik Williams, uh, he's a three star out of Florida, a, a guy who I think will be a four star. He shared the load with another Division One signee last year. Um, Josh Paul, a linebacker out of New Orleans, which is an important recruiting area for Arkansas, uh, recruiting Louisiana. And Jameric Woods, a safety who's committed to Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, Nelson Banasor, uh, who's a defensive end committed to Oklahoma State. And Troy James, a defensive end committed to Kansas. Uh, and these, of course, are all class of 2017. Uh, Arkansas has. Just six spots remaining if they do sign 25 uh, for this class. I think most of those will go to defense unless, um, you know, unless they decide to offer another wide receiver. Uh, or, uh, you know, I, I, would, I think they probably could use another offensive line out of high school. Um, they have several unofficial visitors. I think, you know, 17 guys that we have, you know, in the database, um, you know, from, uh, from the class of 2017. Probably the biggest one is Chase Hayden, who – uh, is a four-star out of Tennessee, four-star running back. Chevin Callaway is a four-star uh, who's committed to Iowa, but is actually out of, he's out of Texas. But he's uh, he's taken an unofficial. He initially planned to take an official visit, but decided to make it an unofficial this weekend and take his official later. So um, also plenty of guys like um, you know Bumper Pool would probably be the top guy out of the 2018 class. Great name. Uh, I think <laughs> Alabama's recruiting him also. He's out of Lucas, uh, Texas. Uh, Lovejoy High School, and. Um, yeah, so that's a pretty good, pretty good visit list. Uh, the thing that Arkansas needs to do, though, is is win a game like this. They don't have, they haven't had a whole lot of opportunities in Fayetteville for these types of games. You know, times in the past when they've had top twenty-five games, that you know, a lot of times they seem to always be on the road for those games when they when they get in the top twenty-five, or you know, they split Little Rock games in the past. They played a lot of top twenty-five games in Little Rock. They play LSU there every year, uh, or used to. Um, you know, so. The thing about the Little Rock games is you can bring recruits, but you can't show them anything. <laughs> There's no facilities to look at. There's no professors to talk to, you know, none of that stuff. So um, this is a big opportunity for Arkansas. It's, it's going to be a great venue, 
6 o'clock game. The weather's supposed to be 70 at kickoff, 60 by the end of the game. Um, so it should be a, a pretty rowdy environment. It should. And then finally, Trey, just your thoughts on the game. How do you see it? Yeah, I mean, kind of like uh, I said, I, I think that if Arkansas doesn't come out and make critical errors, um, that they can keep the, the score manageable, um, you know, keep it into the fourth quarter. But then that's that's really when Alabama's at their best. As I mentioned, they're the, the kings of the slow death. Um, so I kind of see it going, you know, maybe something like uh, a 27 to 10 type of game. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really close. I had 27-13. I think it's going to be a four-quarter game, as always, with Brett Bielema. But I think uh, Arkansas, definitely on the right track. Got a good football team, and uh, it's going to be a quite an atmosphere in Fayetteville. Looking forward to it. Our own Steve Moulton will be there uh, in Fayetteville and looking forward uh, to being a part of that. Well, Trey, we always appreciate your time. We know you're very busy. Thank you for joining us. And let everybody know where they can connect with you on Twitter and, of course, where they can read your stuff. Yeah, it's hawgsports.com. I'm sure there's some Arkansas fan, lonely Arkansas fan out there in Alabama listening. Um, we are doing, if you sign up this week, um, I'll give you three months added to your subscription for free uh, if Arkansas were to beat Alabama this weekend. It's hawgsports.com, part of the Rivals.com network. Absolutely, and we do have our own good friend Joey Morphew, huge Arkansas fan. I hope he was listening today, and if not, we'll definitely have this up on SoundCloud soon. Trey, thank you as always. Well, we look forward to catching up down the road, and uh, we appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. Yeah, thanks, Drew.